Hey, welcome back to One Way Ratchet. This is part two of my deep dive into the Bitcoin ETFs. If you have not listened to part one, I would hit pause right now. Go back and listen to part one. I thought it was pretty good. We looked at the impact of the spot ETFs on retail, on regular people. And look, it's really bullish. It just is. It's very, very bullish for the long term. But that was nothing. That was nothing compared to what we're going to get into today. Because today, we're getting into institutional money. Money that is run by professionals. And if you thought the ETFs would be bullish for retail, it is a 10x, a 20x, a 30x more important, the implications that the Bitcoin ETFs will have on institutions. And who do I mean by institutions? I mean the money, the trillions and trillions, tens of trillions of dollars that's run by wealth advisors, talking about the big pension funds, endowments, sovereign wealth funds, large family offices. Later, I'll be talking about an entirely different category of, inst <clears throat> of institutional buying, companies. Yeah, companies of all sizes, from mom and pop street corner cafes, all the way up to Apple, Google, Microsoft, the biggest companies in the world, in my view, will be buying Bitcoin in the future. And the ETFs enable this now in a turnkey solution, really for the first time. That just means that the institutional money era, the big money era, the Wall Street era of Bitcoin will officially begin the day the ETFs launch. It will still take time. It will be a gradual process. Nothing's going to happen overnight. It just begins. So let's, let's break that down a bit. Let's play this out. Let's fast forward into the future. Could be a number of weeks. Could be a number of months. It may even be longer than that. We don't know exactly when the ETFs will officially be approved and launched. Let's look at the world when that happens. A couple of things. First of all, the ETFs need to be approved by the SEC, the Security and Exchange Commission. Like This is big. This is big that they will get the approval of the regulatory body in the United States. And the ETFs themselves are heavily regulated entities with all kinds of reporting, audited financials, U.S. regulated. This is big boy stuff, right? This is what professional investors require. These are the assets that they're used to allocating in, the ones that are U.S. regulated, that they have confidence in. So let's just start with that. And the second thing that I also can't overstate is the importance of custody being built right in to the ETFs. Institutional grade custody. Look, it's absolutely vital. It's necessary. The big money is not going to allocate to Bitcoin without this kind of institutional grade, separate entity, audited, insured, U.S. regulated custody solutions built right in so they don't have to worry about private keys. They don't have to worry about backing up their seed phrase. 
anything like that. Multi-sig, no, 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 no. That's great for individuals, absolutely. But we're talking about investment committees. We're talking about professionals here. This is a requirement that they're going to need in order to come into Bitcoin, and the ETFs solve it instantly. But here's the other thing when you just think about what's going to happen. This is a little bit of game theory, but I love thinking about game theory in, in Bitcoin. It's, it's just looking at the chessboard. Being, just think about it. Reason it out. Think of the human incentives. Game theory, in many ways, is just about looking at the incentives that the parties have. So just play this out again. First, I want to remind you, the companies behind the ETFs, the companies that have filed for them, BlackRock, Fidelity, Franklin Templeton, Invesco, ARK, and several others. There could be up to a dozen that are, that are approved and issued all at once. These are huge organizations. BlackRock itself has something like $11 trillion in assets under management. They're the biggest asset manager in the world. And I think Fidelity is second or third. And these are serious players. They have large, large sales departments. And they already manage so many assets. Look, they are the wealth advisors. They are the ones managing many of the, the big pension funds, the sovereign wealth, the endowments, the exact pools of capital that I'm talking about are being managed within BlackRock and Fidelity and Franklin Templeton and Vesco. It's already there. So what do you think is going to happen when the ETFs launch with, just within BlackRock? I think they're going to get the green light to allocate to it. Next, I think what we'll see happening is that representatives from those companies will be on CNBC and Fox Business and in Wall Street Journal or where, anywhere in the financial press talking about Bitcoin in a positive way. And it just starts a very, very important narrative shift where now Bitcoin doesn't seem so scary. Hey, we're moving on from the early days, from the Wild West, from the Mt. Gox hack and the FTX blow up and all the excess of crypto and the JPEGs and just all the excess, all the crap, all the pains of the early Wild West days. Those will look in the rearview mirror. Those dirt path, dirt road, cobblestone street days are going to be in the past. And we're moving in to the superhighway Wall Street era. Look, Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, has already been on CNBC recently talking about Bitcoin as a flight to safety. I mean, he's already doing it. And another thing, in this one, this one is really funny to me. It's, it's an issue that is very near and dear to Bitcoiners is Bitcoin has taken a lot of heat, pun intended, about its energy usage. Look, Bitcoin uses a lot of energy. That is true. We'll get into that in another pod. It, there's so much I want to say about energy, I cannot do it here. Anyway, it's taken a lot of criticism. People have criticized that it uses too much energy, that it's going to boil the oceans. Well, BlackRock has been at the forefront of some of these criticisms because they've had for years and years this ESG investing narrative. Now, the E of ESG is environmental. And look, let's just be honest about it. It's a marketing thing. 
it was a marketing thing to raise money from rich progressives and New York and San Francisco and LA and fine. It's fine. You know, I, I have no opinion on that. It's just objectively true. But the funny thing is BlackRock has totally abandoned that. They're not talking about it anymore. Larry Fink himself has done a whole 180 on it. And now they filed for the Bitcoin ETF and they're going to be at the forefront of Bitcoin in the next bull run. They're going to be promoting it. Larry Fink already is. And so that's just another aspect to the narrative shift is BlackRock's endorsement of it. It just changes the whole tenor of the conversation that Bitcoin isn't this early days, scary thing, too much energy, boiling the oceans. No, it's just going to become a normal asset that professionals are okay talking about and adding to portfolios. Uh, it's just so, it's so big. Look, I don't think BlackRock is going to launch a Bitcoin ETF in order to be the fifth or sixth biggest one in the market. I just don't. I think they're in it to win it. I think they want to dominate the Bitcoin ETF space. And in ETFs, it's winner take most, right? Even in, in, in asset categories where there's multiple ETFs doing the same thing, the dominant one takes the lion's share of the market. And I think that will, that's what's going to happen here. There's going to be one dominant Bitcoin ETF. My money is on BlackRock, possibly Fidelity. Maybe they, there'll be something like co-equals. Either way, they're going to want market share. And how do you gain market share? They're competing. Remember, they're competing with the other ones. The other ones are out there trying to do the same thing. It's going to be competition. And that, hey, when, when there's competition, the consumer wins. Well, in this case, the consumer is Bitcoin. All these companies are going to be fighting to promote Bitcoin. Okay, let's play this out a little bit more. Let's say the ETFs are approved. They're in the marketplace. Now the question is, okay, will the big allocators actually start buying it? Do you think they will? Are they going to do it? Well, let's get back to the incentives. Let's look at who these allocators are. First of all, let's look at the wealth managers. These are people who advise wealthy institutions, wealthy families on what their investment should be. Typically, some form of balanced portfolio. They want to very much keep the wealth, maintain the wealth, but also grow it. But in particular, what's their real incentive? The real incentive is two things for the wealth managers. Grow their assets under management, AUM. They earn a fee on that. So they want bigger asset base under their management. Of course, it makes total sense. They also want their portfolios to perform well. They want to beat their competition. They certainly want to beat their benchmark, whatever that is. Whatever the measuring stick is for the portfolio, they want to beat it. They absolutely want to beat it. Well, let me tell you, Bitcoin helps with both. It is amazing for both. Bitcoin is the best performing asset over the last any, any time period, three years, five years, 10 years. They're going to want to add some to their portfolio. Just this year, the S&P 500 is up about 13%. Bitcoin's up almost 100%. And, in, and the five-year return, the S&P is up 50%, roughly. Bitcoin, 
almost 600% in the past five years. Do you think people are going to want to allocate a little bit to this? Even just a little? To boost their performance? And it's growing. Again, so just follow the incentives. The wealth managers have a new asset at their disposal, which they didn't really have before, that they could add to a portfolio to grow the total assets and to boost the returns. To me, it's a no-brainer. Oh, and don't forget, oh, wait, don't forget the other part. It's offered by BlackRock. Some of these wealth managers I'm talking about might be working at BlackRock. Do you think they might start allocating a little to a product from their own company? Oh, I sure think they will. Absolutely will. And I'm not talking about coming in in any crazy amount of size. I'm talking about adding 1%, 2% to a portfolio. There's been a lot of analysis done on this, a lot of portfolio analysis. Adding even a 1% or 2% allocation to Bitcoin very significantly increases its performance over almost any time period. And this matters. Those percentage points matter to, the, to these guys, to the wealth managers. Now play this out a little bit further. Let's say you're a wealth manager who doesn't like Bitcoin. And so you're not going to allocate anything to it. It's scary. It's a Ponzi. It's Beanie Babies, Tulips, well, whatever, whatever. Look, you've been wrong for so long, but you're going down with the ship. Not touching it. Fine. Fine. That'll, that'll probably be a lot of people, especially in the very beginning. But what's going to happen over time when your competition is doing better than you? When others, you know, maybe within your own firm, but maybe the competition, their portfolio returns are doing better and better and better than yours because they have Bitcoin and you don't. It would be like going back in time and saying, hey, I don't like this Apple or Google or Amazon. I don't like tech. I'm not going to touch it. Well, you don't have to. No one's going to make you do it. No, right? Typically not a gun to your head telling you you have to buy Apple. But you can't prevent the results if your competition does and everyone else does around you and they do way better. And you are going to have to answer for that. At some point, you're going to have to answer for that of why didn't you allocate even a little to the best performing asset. But in particular, you're going to have to answer to your clients. I think many, many clients are going to demand it. It's the best performing asset and you don't have to like it. No one's asking you to like it. And I'm just going to harp on this one more time. When it's a BlackRock endorsed, SEC approved BlackRock endorsed way to buy Bitcoin and you allocate 1% or 2% to that, nobody's going to get fired for that. No one's getting fired for a small allocation to a BlackRock product in the professional money world. So it just gives them so much cover to do it. Oh, I, I, I just think this is, this is fun to think about. I mean, this is what's going to happen in my view. No guarantees in anything, but this is pretty simple, I think, how this will play out over time. Keep getting back to that, over time. Okay, now let's look at pension funds and endowments and sovereign wealth funds. Huge, huge, you know, I, I don't know the total amounts, but it's tens and tens of trillions of dollars worldwide. These are typically run by investment committees. 
It's about wealth preservation in many ways with this, but they do allocate some to alternative asset classes like hedge funds, like private equity, things like that. A small percentage, but in dollar amounts, it's huge because they're so big. Okay, so let's look at their incentives. Would they want to buy Bitcoin? Would a pension fund or an endowment or sovereign wealth fund want to add a little bit of Bitcoin, the best performing asset in world history, <laughs> to their basket of assets? Oh, I think they will for the exact same reasons. In part one, I looked at for individuals adding Bitcoin to a retirement account and what a perfect use case that is. In fact, I think it's the killer app of Bitcoin. It's, the, it's sort of its perfect use case is adding Bitcoin to an individual's retirement account because Bitcoin, in my view, is going up so much over time. 21 million will ever exist as more and more and more people start buying. There will never be more than 21 million Bitcoin. It's going up in time. But of course, we've seen short-term volatile. There's the rub. You have to stomach the volatility year to year in exchange for the long-term gains. So putting it in a vehicle like a 401k, like a retirement account, that's by definition long-term, is the perfect place for it. Well, now just look at a pension fund. A pension fund is just a pool of many, many, many retirement accounts. It's literally the exact same, just much bigger on behalf of many people. Endowments tend to think in very long-term, right? It's like a permanent capital base for a university, an institution, you know, whatever it is. Oh my God. It's the perfect asset. Bitcoin is the perfect asset for that. Because over, over any short term, who cares? We're not talking about short term. We don't think really in terms of short term. We're thinking in terms of decades for endowments. And the same with sovereign wealth. It's the exact same. Okay. I think you get the point. And it gets back to the question that I posed yesterday, which is when I look at something and I'm trying to figure out, wait, is this good for Bitcoin or not? I just asked the very simple question. Will this thing tend to bring in more buyers or not? Will this thing bring in more money or not? And yesterday, when I was looking at the ETFs for individuals, I was talking about, yeah, this is going to bring in more people buying in $100, $500, maybe $1,000 increments on some sort of periodic basis for things like their retirement accounts and just adding to their Schwab account and the Bitcoin ETF. And that, that's huge. That's what's built the Bitcoin market to date is purchases from regular people like that, recurring buys from the convicted people who just keep stacking Bitcoin. But that's a joke compared to the buys that will start coming from the big money when we're not talking about buys in $100 or $500 increments, but in million-dollar increments, perhaps billion-dollar increments, it's just so many orders of magnitude bigger. It's something the Bitcoin market has, frankly, never, ever seen. The number of coins that are available to buy is something probably in the 2 million, I mean, highly liquid ones, the ones that are not in strong hands already. There's not many. It's, it's probably about 10, maybe at most 15% of the supply of Bitcoin. That's going to be gobbled up fast. So then do a little game theory. What's going to happen when there's hardly any more coins to buy? As the number of liquid coins 
keeps going down and down and down over time. And of course, all this stuff is trackable. This will be very well known. I mean, it's public blockchain. You can see this stuff, the sophisticated tracking software. You can see what coins have moved, which ones haven't. It's going to create such a degree of FOMO, fear of missing out. It's like a massive game of musical chairs on a global scale of people finally waking up to Bitcoin and, and fearing that they're going to miss it. Okay. I know, I know that's a lot. I have to check myself. I mean, I, look, I, I, know, I know I'm excited about it. And again, I've got to keep the champagne well on ice. This isn't going to happen overnight. In fact, it may take a while. It may take a while for these things to kick in, for all this to start happening. It wouldn't surprise me if we look back and say six months into the ETFs being in the market and it feels maybe a little lackluster. It's possible. I think it's possible. On the other hand, the ETFs might launch beginning of next year. The next halving is in April. The next presidential cycle is obviously next November. I mean, things are lining up for, for 2024 to be quite a year quite a year. So we'll see. Again, we'll see. I think it's fun to think about. And I just want people to just to be aware of this stuff. Because again, things will change so dramatically. And I haven't even got to the third category yet. I'm going to try to do this quickly because we've already been through a lot. And I think you understand the implications for the ETFs. It just means people can start buying now in so much size that they couldn't before. Okay, you get it. All right. But let's just talk really quickly about the third category which is companies, companies of all sizes, every shape and size all around the world, from the mom and pop restaurant down the street to Apple, Google, Microsoft. Why would they buy Bitcoin? Why would a company want to buy Bitcoin? Seems a little odd, maybe, right? I mean, it just doesn't seem like a natural thing for a company to do. Oh, I think it's going to become commonplace. I think it's going to become a very common thing to do because companies have the same problem as people. Why would any person want to buy Bitcoin? Right? I mean, why does a person want to buy Bitcoin? Because they see this world around them. They see the world getting forever more expensive in dollars. The purchasing power of dollars just keeps going down. Steady decline. Your dollars are worth less and less and less over time. But the value of Bitcoin just keeps going up. So you can protect your wealth. You can grow your wealth by buying and holding Bitcoin. The exact same thing applies to companies, more so to companies. They're going concerns with lots of employees. They, they have every reason to build an asset base of something that's going to be growing over time instead of cash, which is just melting. The value of their cash on hand is just melting. And a lot of these companies have absurd amounts of cash on hand. I think Apple alone has something like $200 billion in cash. Now, we should say in cash. I think the vast majority of that is in tre U.S. treasuries, of course. So it's not just like sitting in a checking account in their Wells Fargo, right? But even in treasuries which are doing way better now. Rates are up for sure. So you can get, you can earn a lot more in interest on your treasuries than you have in the past several years with zero interest rates. So to be sure, 
they are earned, they're doing a lot better than they had been. But the interest that they're earning on the treasuries is still taxable. So you got to chop, what, 30, 40% right off the top. And they're still way behind inflation. So yes, they're melting at a slower rate when they're in treasuries than just in cash, but it's still melting. So they have to do something with it. Every company has to do something with the money that they have, their excess cash flows. End of the month, end of the year, whatever it is, every company, hopefully as a profit, has more money than expenses after they made their payroll, their rent, utilities, you know, all the stuff that companies have to pay for. And then they have to decide what to do with it. Well, you could give it back to the shareholders. And for public companies, that means issuing a dividend, which is taxed twice at the corporate and individual level. So it's highly inefficient. They can buy back stock, which a lot of companies do. Also tax implications for that. They can make acquisitions, not easy to do. They can sit on it, which a lot of companies do. Or how about this? Here's an idea. You start allocating a little of your treasury to Bitcoin, the best performing asset in the world that will grow in value over time. It costs nothing to hold. You're not taxed on it until you sell it. So your wealth, the overall enterprise value of the business can grow over time. It gives your business a second line of business. Everything you do throughout the year to turn a profit, to earn money, however employees you have, every business, people work all year long to earn whatever profit they make for the business. Great. But now why don't you add a second line of business, the asset side of the business, where you just add Bitcoin to your treasury. Let it grow. It's like building your own endowment. And this is something that I heard Michael Saylor talk about recently, so eloquently about this, because Michael Saylor is the guy who wrote the book on this very strategy. MicroStrategy is a relatively small, unknown company in the enterprise software space competing against the biggest names in tech. And he basically has turned his business into a Bitcoin business. And I think it will go down as the smartest, greatest trade probably in world history over time. He's at the extreme of this. But I think even the small companies, again, it's, it's pretty easy to see when you're sitting on a mountain of cash, but you got to do something with it. Why not allocate a little to Bitcoin? That's sort of easy to see. But I think it's crucially even more important for small businesses that are living paycheck to paycheck, trying to get ahead. Same issue with any excess money that you have at the end of the month or end of the year. Are you going to reinvest it in the business? Buy more advertising, hire, grow, do, you know, do whatever you can to grow? Great. I think you should. I mean, I, of course, that's what companies do all the time. But what if you started taking just a little bit, just a little? and start allocating to Bitcoin and let that grow over time. Let that be your reserves, your rainy day fund. Like I said, like an endowment that is there for good times and bad to, to help preserve the company. Okay, so I think companies will start doing this. I don't really have time to get in. I, I know this has been a lot. I was going to get into why companies are not currently doing this at any scale. There's only a few, really. MicroStrategy, Tesla, famously bought and has held. And then very few other ones have followed. 
it has to do with this very boring and annoying accounting issue about how Bitcoin is currently accounted for for publicly traded companies, according to the, the accounting rules in the U.S. And it's incredibly silly. It's very negative. It's very punitive, actually, for companies currently holding Bitcoin on their balance sheet. But guess what? Hey, guess what? The ETFs solve that instantly. Instantly. That's gone. And the same, same issues that applied, we've, we've been through many times already, about the custody, about the access points, about where to buy, how to store, how do we even access Bitcoin, solved instantly when the ETFs issue for companies. Just like every other allocator, whether it's a person, whether it's an institution, whether it's a company, will now have the instant ability to buy and hold and safely store Bitcoin that they didn't have before. Access points, super highways that they didn't have before. I think all models will be broken when the ETFs launch. There's just no way to know the impact that this is going to have. I think it's so massively bullish, but it's hard to know. It's hard to know the implications, both short-term and long-term. But this is what I know for sure. They will open up so many access points that don't currently exist. And meanwhile, what happens in April? The halving. Bitcoin daily supply gets cut in half. And the amount of Bitcoin that will be available to purchase is going down dramatically. I mean, look, there's only 21 million that will ever exist. But in reality, the amount of coins that are available to buy on a daily basis is getting cut in half and then half again and half again as the biggest allocators, the biggest pools of capital haven't even begun to buy yet. And anyone who's hearing this, anyone who's hearing my voice ramble on and on about this, you can still buy Bitcoin in the dirt road era, in the wild west era because they haven't issued yet. And even when they do, it's not going to be overnight. So. Look, you do you. This is not financial advice. This is just trying to spark an interest for you to be thoughtful about this, to think about it, to maybe learn more about Bitcoin. And it's up to you, whatever you want to do. Um, I'm actually going to add a part three as I realize I got to wrap this up. I think forcing anyone to listen to more of this <laughs> would be uh, almost inhumane. But I haven't even gotten to the other part. There's another part, if you can believe that that I haven't touched on. I'll do it briefly in the next one. And I also just want to touch on some drawbacks. Only trade-offs. No solutions, only trade-offs. There are some trade-offs uh, in the ETFs that I want to be honest about. And we'll get to them in part three. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. I'm not a financial advisor. None of this is financial advice. I'm a guy who obviously thinks a lot about Bitcoin. And I hope you find this valuable. I'll see you next time.